0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we have a number of different things. We'll probably look at Philippians We've done the first chapter of Philippians, uh, last week, and we'll be doing this, the second chapter, I guess, today. And, uh, I'm trying to get things organized here. It always seems to be the last minute that I'm coming <laughs> to do the show, but I've got a lot of things going on this week. A lot of things have uh, happened in the news. A lot of things have happened here. And so we'll touch it. It seems to be coming a tradition that we always talk a little bit about the news at the beginning of the show uh on this morning, uh part of uh, what we'll be broadcasting today. We'll broadcast at least three hours today, and uh two hours in the morning, another hour this afternoon. If you want to know more about our schedule, you can go to preparingyou.com, and you can go to hisholychurch.org, and you can join the network, and then you'll get notices, you'll You'll hear the recordings as they come available and uh get announcements about new articles as well as you can actually start doing what Christ said to do. Because he actually specifically commanded that we do certain things. And that he, he said over and over again, and not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. If you're not a doer of the word, then you're out. You know, you're not the brethren of Christ if you're not doing what Christ said. It's not about earning salvation. It's about just identifying if you are really saved or not. Now, there's a lot of ministers out there making lots of money telling you that you're already saved. And one of the things that I saw in my news feed this week that I considered to be one of the most disturbing views... <laughs> that I've seen all week, anyway, is uh, someone on a home church group was showing a video of some children, evidently it appears in China, that were at a home church group, and the, the little children, pretty, pretty small little children, were crying as they were singing uh, songs that would be considered a praise, and somebody referred to that as it, is, it was such a delight to see such unbridled worship of God or of Christ and they were just ecstatic about the fact that they saw these young girls worshiping. Well I know of people who lived in China during Mao's revolution and they did the same type of singing and crying for Mao that we see these girls, little girls doing supposedly for Christ. And they think that that's automatically praising Christ. doesn't have anything to doing doing the will of Christ, which is required for true worship. True worship is homage. It's not enough to bow and say, yes, I have a king on Jesus. You actually have to be doing what Jesus said. And the reason why is the mind of man is fickled. Somebody can draw a picture of Jesus for you, mentally, draw a picture of Jesus by describing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you do what that picture identifies, what that picture suggests, and you think you're a Christian. But if it's not actually what Christ was saying, doing, and preaching it's not actually the doctrines of Christ, then you're not actually paying homage or worshiping Christ. Because you're not actually doing what he said. You're doing something. You may be doing it fervently. You may be doing it with a lot of emotion and dedication. But it's not actually what Jesus said to do. Well, you're not actually worshiping Christ. You're saying, Lord, Lord. You're saying, I love Jesus. You're getting all emotional at some church group or gathering or service, what they call service. No service is actually being performed for anybody. It's certainly no service is being performed for God. God is not so insecure that he needs your praise to feel good. God is good. So the problem is is there's a lot of false religion going about claiming to be the religion of Jesus Christ, and it just ain't so. It's not the real Jesus Christ, it's not the real doctrines of Jesus Christ. It's not what he said to do. It's not Therefore, it's not real worship. It's very emotional. It may make you feel very good. You may go to a big group church. Some people like to go to a big group church because it gives them a feeling of fellowship. I mean, you can join the mafia and get a feeling of fellowship. I mean, that's what kids do. Why they join gangs? They tell you right out. You're more likely to join a gang if you come from a broken home. Why because you didn't get something in your home, you didn't get the the influence of a caring father and a loving mother, the nurturing of a loving mother and the discipline of a caring father. You didn't get that at home. You didn't have the brotherhood and family feelings at home. So you went out and joined a gang because in the gang that's the way they get you is that they you know like you're you're you know they get one of us, you know And we're here for you, and next thing you know, they got you doing stuff you shouldn't be doing in order to increase your loyalty. But it's a substitute for the family. That's why you have a gang problem in the country today. You have that gang problem because you have a family problem, and that family problem is that you're not staying together as a family, and you have people in the news like Candace owen she's a real outspoken lady uh, who talks about father absence in the homes of the black community well, there's father absence in the home of the white community, but it really hit the black community hard. I mean it used to be like at the beginning of the last century, the millennium. <laughs> The the original, you know, in the 1900s, there was only maybe one and a half to three percent of the homes in the black community that were single-parent families. And that's about right. I mean, that's from, you know, somebody died. One of the parent-rental family members died. You know, and then we had World War One, World War Two. More died in World War One and World War Two, and so therefore the the percentage went up a little bit, which is always a problem. But in the '60s, with the war on poverty, that figure leaped forward. Now we're at like 75 percent of the homes are father, you know, at least missing one parent in the home. It's usually the father, and The welfare system incentivizes not having a father in the home. Sometimes the father comes and goes, but that's just as bad. It's not dependable. You know, divorce is rampant. And the the same statistics that we saw in the black community from the 60s to the 70s and 80s and now up to the present day is repeating itself in the white community and even in the Asian community, that their numbers are starting to rise as well. And it's all due to this socialist approach where we pray to the government, apply to the government for benefits, and the government will reward you if you come from a broken home. It incentivizes, as Candace Owens says, uh, the, the division of the family. So therefore, you're, you're guaranteeing that you'll have more gangs. You're more likely, if you come from a single parent family, you're more likely to end up in prison. These are just statistics. You can get them from numerous sources, including, uh, black spokesman, spokesman for, um, um, like, uh, Mr. Elder. Uh, he, he, ...points this out on a regular basis... Uh, ...Thomas Sowell. these guys are very outspoken... ...you're not probably going to get it from Al Sharpton... ...but he's part of the problem... ...that, you know, like Reagan used to say... ...government isn't the solution... ...government is the problem... ...it's because you're looking in the wrong direction... ...for the solution... ...so what you're seeing... ...the abortion rate... ...the the gang numbers... ...the uh, broken homes... These are symptoms of the fact that we turned away from what has traditionally in the law of nature been what made community strong, which was family. Community is born in the family. The stronger the family, the stronger the community. But Christ knew it's not enough that the family be strong and you know where you you know you're loyal to your family. That you had to be loyal to a larger community group. Now, the problem is with that larger community group, a lot of times it be, that community becomes tribal. They're, they care a lot about their little small town, their little community, or their little community within a larger town. But they don't care about other people outside of that small knit group. We just, I just heard, what is it, the Lutheran church, I think, is uh, dividing over the controversy concerning gay marriage. And so that tribe, the Lutheran tribe, is dividing and going to become something else. We've seen the same thing with the Methodists and, you know, different reasons over the years. You have this synod or that synod. Of course, you had it with the Christian church. You had the, uh or what was posing as the Christian church in the 1500s, and you had the Protestant Revolution, where the Protestants, broke off from the Catholic Church, and they were still the daughters of the Catholic Church, but they broke off and became separate, and they started forming their own. Now, the reality is, in all these movements, there are some genuine, sincere people seeking the righteousness of God, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, is seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. With all these movements, there is corruption, just as there was corruption with the early church. It was creeping in right away, and they write about it creeping in. And you had the epistles trying to get people back to the gospel of Christ. Paul always wrote that he preached Christ first. But a lot of people read Paul, and they skip Christ. They actually remove the teachings of Christ. When I point out that Jesus said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. I've actually had a minister tell me, well, he said that before the crucifixion. Once the crucifixion came, then all you had to do is believe in Jesus. You didn't actually have to do what Jesus said. They actually tell me that right to my face. I'm, I'm saying like that is, you know, I was actually, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I mean, I was just show, so shocked. This is a nice preacher. He's a really nice guy. How could he be so deluded? So far from the, the very basics of Paul. Much less of Christ. Because Paul says over and over again, if people are doing this and this and this and this, or not doing this and this and this and this, have nothing to do with them, because they have no inheritance in the kingdom. Paul says that. But here, this guy is saying, no, you don't have to do it, you have to have to say it. You know, and supposedly believe it. You know, so many people have these altar calls or these uh, experiences where I was saved on such and such a day because they had these emotional experiences. But you look at their life and they're not doing what Christ said. Most of them don't even know what Christ said. Even though it's right in the book, you can look it up. I mean, even poor translations often tell you. Halfway decent translations, you can, you know, I, I use the King James on a regular basis for consistency. Not because it's necessarily the best translation. I don't, I'm not going to say what the best translation is because they all have problems. But with the Holy Spirit, all those problems should be overcome. Because it isn't by reading the book. That's a flesh and blood activity. And it's not flesh and blood that he builds his church. It's revelation. So what you have to do is figure out how revelation comes. It doesn't come with a lot of emotionalizing in some sort of church service where everybody's crying and weeping. You that you can find that probably in the Church of Satan. <laughs> so that isn't it. It's gotta be something else. You you don't see that kind of service going on with Christ. When Christ he's talking to people. And they they'll go over separate from everybody else and they'll pray about it and and ponder it and and then come back and try to apply what that God is putting on their heart because that's that's revelation when God writes on your heart and writes on your mind. Not when some preacher gets you all worked up and you, you feel this surge of emotion and you've mistaken it for the Holy Spirit. It's not. I mean, you see these guys out there supposedly, you know, knocking people down and waving their arms around. That's all emotionalism. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's not what Christ was doing. you know Christ was very calm. I mean even even just reading it, you should be able to tell that, but even the even Hollywood got a lot of that right where Christ is going around just speaking to people you know there, there occasionally there's a emotionalism that comes out when you do some real soul searching, but you can see the same emotionalism that I could see in those children. Praising Jesus, you could see that when they were praising Mao, you can see that loyalty and camaraderie. I mean, call them comrades in Stalinist Russia, as they went about, you know, taking bite out of one another, expanding the communism and socialism in Russia, taking from those that you know have extra because they worked hard. And giving to those who didn't work so hard so that they can have benefits at their neighbor's expense. Totally, totally contrary to what Christ taught. It is the antithesis of what Christ taught. Now, some of you know that I've been working on a document. It's only about, well, it'll probably be about ten pages long. And it has to do with recognizing who is really a minister of Christ. And who is not really a minister of Christ? Who is actually gathering in the name of Christ? And who is not actually gathering in the name of Christ? Because you can't tell because they use the word Jesus. If I say Jesus, I'm gathering in the name of Jesus, that may be true. It may not be true. How do you know whether I am or not? Am I doing what Jesus said to do. If I'm not doing what Jesus said to do, it doesn't matter what I said. I could be a liar and say I'm gathering in the name of Jesus. I could be under a strong delusion and say that I'm gathering in the name of Jesus. How do you know if I am? More important than that question, how do you know you are gathering? In the name of Jesus. You say, because I love Jesus. If you love Jesus, are you keeping the commandments of Jesus? Because he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? You know, he broke all the commandments down into two commandments. Love God. Which everybody can say, yeah, I love God. Well, what does that look like? How do you how do you know that you really love God? Well, you you know because you can't actually do anything for God. He doesn't need your help. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, like you know, like the old joke with the the the, the rabbi and the priest and the minister, you know, Methodist minister. Let's make it Lutheran because they're the ones that are dividing. I think it is. But anyway, a Protestant minister. And they said, well, how do you decide what money to give to God and what money to keep for yourself? And the one minister said, well, I draw a little circle in the middle of the ch- chapel and I throw the money up in the air and what falls in the circle I keep for myself and what falls out of the circle I give to God. And then the priest says, I do something very similar. I draw a very big circle in the middle of the church. And I throw the money up. And what falls outside of the circle, I keep for myself. And what falls inside the circle, I give to God. So that all sounded okay. When the rabbi says, and I'm not picking on rabbis. It's just the old joke. The rabbi says, I take the money into the synagogue. And I throw it up into the air. And I figure out whatever God wants. He can keep. <laughs> well, you know, it's a joke, okay? But the reality is, is that God doesn't need any of that money. You don't actually mail it off to God. You, you fulfill that obligation of loving God, or at least we see you fulfilling the obligation of loving God, by the second commandment. To love thy neighbor as thyself. So when you give to God, you're actually giving to others the needy of society and practice a pure religion. Helping out the needy of society to faith, hope, and charity. That was the mission of the church. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They were helping out the needy of society. They had a system of social welfare run through the synagogues that were members of the temple. And you would send the money up to the temple, and the temple would send back the money to help out you know if somebody was crippled or somebody was uh blind or if they they had some you know fell on hard times, you could go to the local synagogue and they would help you out with daily ministration you know food you know and and, and assistance that way and sometimes shelter or what have you. They would offer that to you, and that was the social welfare. That's what religion was in all nations. You go up to the Teutons, and they had priests up in the Teutons, and you would—they there was their job to make sure that people who were good, staunch members of the community were not starving to death in their homes. You know, actually, a local police just came on somebody who was. Dead in a little cabin he built on his property. He built this little cabin on his property. And he was dead in there. And uh because his evidently his parents or his girlfriend or somebody reported that he is not answering his phone. And they don't know where he's at. So they went out to the property. And he wasn't in the house. He was in this little cabin out there. And he was dead. The reason he was dead is that he had been growing illegal marijuana. Had a whole... Whole container of buds, and he went into this little room that he had built, this little cabin that he had built, took in about four or five of his dogs into the cabin, and he was smoking his marijuana. And he was smoking his marijuana, and he was running a little propane heater that burned up all the oxygen, and he suffocated. All the, he was dead, and all the dogs were dead. So there, he just died. From marijuana. You know, because he didn't have the sense to get out. He was sitting in the chair dead. And all the dogs are laying around on the floor dead because they had just burned up all the oxygen in the room. And uh so anyway, the the point is is that you're you have to start looking at reality and seeing reality and And doing things like smoking dope to avoid that reality is not the answer. The same as getting all emotional in church to think that you're saved is not the answer either. Do you have the oxygen of Christ? Are you breathing in the Holy Spirit and breathing out the Holy Spirit for others? Or are you on a one-way ticket to destruction? We'll talk about that when we come back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So what is uh what are some of the other things that are in the news besides that what I consider a disturbing view that people actually think that getting all emotional, is, and it wasn't so much, I've seen this in lots of churches over the years, and I have got a lot of years behind me, where they mistake the Holy Spirit for emotionalism. And you, like I said, you can get, you can see people getting emotional at a football game. You can get emotional watching a movie. Just because you get emotional about something doesn't mean that it's the Holy Spirit. You can get emotional about all kinds of things. How do you know your faith is real? How do you know you're actually worshiping God the Father? in truth, and in spirit. It's by what you do. Because you're going to be loving your neighbor as much as yourself. That's what you're going to be doing. Now, I know people who say, yo, I love my neighbor as much as myself. Okay? But what are you doing to manifest that love? Remember again, that the word love, every time you see Jesus say it, they usually translate it love, but most of the time when Paul says it, they translate the same word, charity, which is why Paul can say, if you, if you give everything you have to your neighbor, or give it away to the poor, but you have not charity, then you have nothing. Well, wait a minute. You just give everything away you have, everything you have away to the poor. And he's saying, but if you don't have charity, well, how could you not have charity if you just gave everything away to the poor? Because giving away stuff is not necessarily charity. I was talking to a minister last night and I said, you know, giving to the people you serve or to the people you come across what they need. It might be money, it might be food, it might be shelter, it might be a kick in the pants, it might be a scolding, a rebuke. I don't know what it is that God wants you to give them, but that's the key, is that what you're giving, what you're doing has to be what Christ said to do. And it's not specific, because some people he rebuked, and some people he scolded, and some people he gave to. You know, you, you tell me nothing, I tell you nothing. I'm not telling you. So, you know, what does it look like to really worship Christ? Really give to Christ what portion of the offering that you need to get. Now, Paul had the right to eat of the altar. All the Levites had the right to eat of the altar. Peter had a right to eat of the altar. But Peter was a man of service, so he was constantly serving. He wasn't you know, he didn't sit on a golden throne like Constantine or the Pope or somebody like that. He didn't do that kind of stuff. Silver and gold have I none. He was saying things like rise and walk. He wasn't getting them all worked up with an emotional thing, you know, and getting somebody to come out of the wheelchair supposedly and then two days later they're 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 not walking again, which is mostly what you see. Because it's not real. It's not really the Holy Spirit. You know, I was also talking to a minister last night about this, is that, that there's many times where people will come and we, in the environment out here, away from all the distractions of the world, we can talk to them about things and they see them. And they agree with them. And they think this is like, this is so amazing and life-changing and all this stuff. But when they went back home, First time, I remember this way back, years and years, decades ago. When they went back home, you know, I didn't hear from them for a long time. But then when they came back to this country, they lived in another country. When they came back to this country, they made it a point to come and visit me. I wasn't their friend originally. They just crossed our path. A and, and long story. But uh, they made it a point to come and visit us. And then we, of course, were talking about the kingdom again and kingdom principles, and they're saying, like, I remember this now. You know, I knew that everything you told me was really important, but when I went back home, I couldn't remember what... I tried to tell other people, but I couldn't remember what you said. You know, like it didn't stick in his mind. Well, he could see it enough to agree with it, but he couldn't see it enough to implement it, because it's not by flesh and blood that you learn the ways of the kingdom. It's by inspiration. It's by revelation. So I talk about it. You listen to the radio. That's another thing we talked about last night is the fact that people have to chew on what we're preaching because it's so different than all the other churches out there that has led everybody else back into the bondage of Egypt. We got a lot of people on the network that, you know, they talk about, you know, the loss of rights and they're taking away our rights and the taxation is theft. No, taxation is justice. (laughs) It's what comes about when you're slothful. It tells you that in the Bible. The slothful shall be under tribute. So if you have to, if you owe taxes, if you have to pay taxes, which is tribute, the same thing, it's cause you've been slothful, according to the Bible. It says it right in there. That you're going, you know, this, and, and there's another way you could be, which is part of being slothful, cause it's slothful in the ways of righteousness. You can end up under tribute, is that you've been covetous of your neighbor's goods. You've desired benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You, you've wanted to have healthcare, welfare, Social Security, you know, national insurance, whatever it is, at the expense of your neighbor. You wanted them guaranteed by the government. Well, the government's not taking it out of its pocket. It's taking it out of your neighbor's pocket. That's covetousness. By definition, that's covetousness. So you should be merchandise. You should be collateral for debt. You should be surety for debt. It tells you that in the Bible. Now, the modern church isn't telling you that they're saying it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government now that's something we bring up a lot of times, but I bring it up. people hear it people can't argue against it. You don't hear anybody arguing against it uh, you know i I've invited people to come on the program if you've got an argument against it let's do let's do a program a podcast together just just you and me. And you can argue that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to the agency of men who exercise authority one over the other. (laughs) And I will tell you, yeah, you can do that, but that ain't Christ. That ain't what he preached. That isn't what he was telling. That's not the gospel. That's the antithesis of the gospel. Yet, that's what your church ministers in the modern church is telling you. It's a strong delusion. It's so that you might believe a lie, because it's a lie. But we're saying, no, you got to think differently. You got to repent and go back the other way. And people can't, you know, some people will agree with this. But then they don't implement it. It doesn't become yours until you implement it. And that's what I was, the, the minister and I were, were talking last night is that he wanted what he says to be he wanted to own it. I think that was the term he used. Yeah, you can, and the way you own it is that you are owned by Christ. You surrender the false doctrines you have come to accept as true that just ain't so. You let go of them, but you have to implement what you now know as the doctrines of Christ, what he commanded. He commanded you sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and share with one another through faith, open, charity, rather than the way you've been doing it through fealty, force, and violence. He didn't want you to do that. <laughs> you know? He doesn't want you to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. He wants you to learn to love your neighbor. When you start to do that, just start to do that. Start to turn around and go in that direction. Now you will remember what I say. Now, at that point, you will start to see it for yourself. You won't need me telling you the same old, same old. Like John the Baptist Whole time John the Baptist is preaching, what did he say? Make straight the way of the Lord. That same word, straight, the way of the Lord, has to do with make righteous the way of the Lord. Make just the way of the Lord. How is it justice to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare? How is that righteous? How is that like Jesus? I mean, Augustus was doing it. Herod was doing it. The Pharisees thought it was great. The Corban of the Pharisees—they thought that was great. They were forcing the sacrifice of the people. We show you this in books and articles with hundreds and thousands of footnotes, so you can look it up yourself. That's why nobody is a taker to argue with me on this subject, <laughs> because we're telling the truth. There's no argument against the truth. If you and I I—I I can't say I've heard every form of lie. <laughs> Because there's always some invented, but we've been doing this for over half a century, and we've we've covered the ground and explained it. I've just added to page after page this morning alone, and made. I went back to several our page on righteousness, our page on the way, you know, all that preparing you. You can go there and look. And I was making sure. Well, did I connect this? in this, you know, from these different, and I did. Although there, there's dozens of more, besides all the quotes you'll find from the Bible that say these things just absolutely clearly. I still am finding, almost every day I found it some today, quotes that are making it even more clear. But there's enough there that you should know that the way you have been going ain't right, ain't righteous, it ain't what Christ said to do, and if you really want to worship Christ, you have to turn around your thinking, and then you have to start going that other way. You have to implement it into the real world, and that, this is where the quantum mechanics of the kingdom of God starts to take place. Because now you're opening the sacrifices that you make what you're really doing is sacrificing your own vanity, sacrificing your own pride, sacrificing a part of what what has become a part of you. You're shedding the blood of your unrighteousness and making room in your heart for the righteousness of God. That's where the Holy Spirit's going to come in. No pain, no gain. You have to sacrifice. You have to forgive. In order for the Holy Spirit to enter into you. And you have not just fellowship with other people. But fellowship with Christ. Fellowship with God. The righteousness of God. You don't need the self-righteousness of the modern church. You need the righteous righteousness of God. And this is an individual thing with you. I'm not going to make you do it. I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to do it for you and your relationship with God. To actually start doing what He said. And if you're not doing what He said, James said it, John said it, uh, Jesus said it, if you're not keeping the commandments, including the one about covenants, Paul said that, Peter said that, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom and you ain't saved. I don't care what you think, that do not get you into heaven. That doesn't get you into the grace of God, what you think. It's what you do. And you won't do what's righteous until you surrender what has been unrighteous in you, which is greed, avarice, lust, all these things that we count as vices. All those things you count as vices, that just shows that you're missing the Holy Spirit. The righteousness of the Holy Spirit is not dwelling in you. See, because light is a positive force in reality. Truth, virtue, these are all positive forces. Vice is the absence of those positive forces. Darkness is the absence of the light. It's not a positive force. It, it is a force just like a vacuum is a force. If you're missing, if you're blocking out the light, see, that's the thing is you're blocking out the light. You're not willing to admit admit you're wrong. You're still committing the same sin as Adam. When God said, Adam, what have you done? What did Adam say? Not my fault. It's your fault, Lord. Forgive me this woman. And it's her fault. It's not my fault. So if you're going around saying it's fraud... It's uh, fictions of law, it's those darn politicians, it's those darn bankers, it's it's the uh, international bankers and the Jews and the Rothschilds. I don't know, I, I could go down all this long list of people that everybody wants to point to, it's their fault. You're missing it. You know, let like the old thing is that when you're pointing at other people, there's three more fingers pointing it back at you. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, bless their heart, that's true. You're not paying attention to the fact that it's your fault. You've been slothful. You've been covetous. You've been willing to be deceived rather than see the truth about yourself. So if you want to join with us to be comforted, that ain't going to happen. Because we're not here to tickle your ears. Our comforter at His Holy Church is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes in when you're willing to set down the lies that have comforted you in the past and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness so the other thing that was in the news was this whole shooting in in some church down in Texas uh, uh freeway church or something uh, anyway in White City or something I don't, I don't remember where it is but uh, we have have a little article uh you know uh uh in defense of defense uh, it's at preparing you and we sent it out to the entire network so if you're not on the network you didn't probably get it notice of it but it was going through an article that was put out by um, somebody in actually uh I think it's Arizona I can't remember now but anyway it was, it was put out by them and it was saying like What was, you know, that was great that somebody stopped this mass murderer who came in with a pump shotgun, killed two people, and then somebody stood up and, you know, I actually noticed the stance. Um, Several of those people who stood up with pistols, they were all in this new stance. You see, when I was a kid, many, many, you know, more than half a century ago, (laughs) they they would tell you that, you know, Put your, the, the pistol in your hand and you cup it into the other hand and you bend your elbows and, and you, no, that's not the way they teach people to do it now because a lot of times people have semi-automatic pistols. So now you, when you see them with their arm fully extended and the hand not just cupped underneath the other hand, uh, under the butt of the pistol, but actually wrapped around to hold that pistol, that's the, the new method and there's an actual name for them, but I'm not a instructor, but all those guys clearly had recent instruction in how, and of course, somebody dropped the guy who was gone nuts and killing people and stopped him right then. And people, you know, they can't really argue with that. But actually, there's still people who argue with that. Why is anybody bringing a gun to church? You should have, uh, only the police should have a gun. And, uh, Of course, that's nonsense because if you waited the 10 minutes for the police to come, which is probably minimum, uh, who knows how many people he would have killed because he could have just walked around in that church just shooting people one after another. He had a pump shotgun. He could just keep pumping those shells in and killing people one after another. But good men who had taken the time to learn how to use the gun stood up and stopped them. And... The fact is, you don't know how many other people were stopped by that. Because that's giving notice that a lot of churches have people in them with guns. If you go in there to do harm, somebody's liable to put an end to you. These guys don't go down to the rifle range and shoot people. They go to places they think nobody has a gun. Yeah, they're crazy, but they're not stupid. And so, anyway, that guy was a little crazy and a little stupid. It didn't work out for him. But what the article is saying is they were they were terrified by the fact that six other people they don't even know, they don't even know, had guns. And I'm thinking that's terrifying to me. That you actually think that's an argument. You're actually so brain dead, so deluded, so brainwashed that you think that's an argument. You don't know the policeman that's coming. You don't know who he is. You, you don't know, you know, you don't know who's in the military. They all got guns. Well, actually, they don't all have guns. Everybody asks me questions like, "Why don't any of the soldiers on on uh, army bases have guns?" Why, why can somebody go onto an army base and shoot guy after guy after guy and nobody stops them because none of the soldiers have guns on an army base? What, what is that? Why is that? <laughs> well, that's, that's cause the people you have elected to rule over you have signed treaties. Which is why they want to take guns away from all the, the people who are hunters in Wisconsin and Virginia and everything else is because that's too many people in America armed. And the treaties they've signed said they, they, we can't have that many armed people. But anyway, that gets into another whole topic and we won't have time to get to it. But anyway, we put up that article on, in defense of defense. We have a number of articles up on defense and, uh, and self-defense. Does a Christian have the right to self-defense? And we go through this and show you the law. We also relate it to what Christ said. So that you can understand, exactly, most people don't understand the law. You know, that this person is saying that they don't have a constitutional right for everybody to have a gun. There is no constitutional right to do that. Uh, there is no constitutional right of the government to limit anybody from having a gun, a clip, a semi-automatic, or even an automatic gun. There is no constitutional right granted to government by the Constitution, because that's what the Constitution was doing, was granting rights to the government, which are actually not rights, but privileges granted to the government. Now, I I had another discussion yesterday with somebody who thinks that he understands the Constitution. He doesn't. He doesn't understand the Constitution. He doesn't understand the Constitution of the State of Oregon. He thinks that we're coming to a point where we have to get armed and fight off this usurpation of the government. He didn't actually use the word usurpation, but he's talking like he can write some sort of Declaration of Independence. No, you don't know the facts. You, You don't have any right to insurrection at this time. Because the government really isn't breaking as many laws as you think. Now, there are some breaking laws, and there are some breaking rules. And there's a lot of things going on that shouldn't be going on. But you need to know what the real problem is. And we we teach that. We have a whole course on understanding the biblical significance of Constitution. What's a biblical Constitution? What, if missing in a Constitution, makes that Constitution non-biblical. Do you know what those are, those five points are? We explain that in detail. We explain it in a book that is available free online, (laughs) along with multiple audios that take you through this step-by-step, hundreds and hundreds of footnotes so you can look it up. We make all this available to you for free, at our own expense. But if you don't avail yourself of it, you will probably remain deluded and deceived. And what I fear is that some of you will go out and do things that will get you and your families and your communities in lots and lots of trouble. Uh, you, you, the last thing Americans need to be thinking about is armed revolution. That is foolishness and stupid to be thinking about it because There's a dozen things you need to be thinking about and implementing first in your life before you ever go in any kind of direction like that. And if you were really implementing them in your life today and yesterday, you wouldn't be going down the road that you're now headed like a freight train. And all those things that you need to apply are actually in the gospel of Christ. Now, a lot of you have probably been listening now And heard me say things that seem contrary to the churches out there. But those churches out there, and many of the people that are in them, many of the ministers in them, are the many that Christ says will be saying, Lord, Lord, but will actually be workers of iniquity. You know, that same word, iniquity, that you see sometimes in the Bible, there's a number of different words in the Greek and in the Hebrew. But the same word is actually translated unrighteousness well it is unrighteous to covet your neighbor's goods it is unrighteous to pray to men who exercise authority to take away from your neighbors to make your life more comfortable that's just unrighteous that is not the righteousness of God it is the antithesis of the righteousness of God so anyway that's what we're trying to show you is what that early church was doing because early Christians became free because they began to implement the teachings of Jesus Christ in their life on, in a daily ministration of righteousness instead of the daily ministration of unrighteousness, which is what most churches are doing. So you need to rethink things, and we, we we give you the evidence for free. You can just go and examine it yourself, and and we will discuss this with you if you join us in the network. In the individual congregations, we're not a central, some kind of controlling group or anything. We know that the search for salvation and a relationship with Christ is an individual one. I also heard, uh, the former Prime Minister of Australia talking. And that was a very fascinating conversation. I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I was traveling and somebody was playing an interview with him and, uh, Dave Rubin. Uh, on the Rubin Report, I guess it's called. Uh, And he was interviewing this former Australian, I think he was the Australian Prime Minister during, starting around 1996. So you can probably look that up, Google it. But anyway, he was saying that we're cursing our children with that. He was saying that, you know, that, that this is having repercussions and we need to go back to the basics. And... But anyway, we won't have time to discuss that right now. But it will, we'll start getting into Philippians and start correlating what we've just talked about into Philippians to see if we can understand Philippians. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're looking at Philippians. And we're going to get into Philippians 2, but a quick, brief synopsis of chapter 1 of Philippians. And... Uh, That is, you know, Paul is writing to the people at Philippi, and we talked a little bit about who was at Philippi. I mean, it was a lot of Romans at Philippi, even though originally Philippi was a part of the Greek province, but a lot of Romans and a lot of retired soldiers of Rome, centurions were there, and it was a gold mining town, and... uh, you know, it wasn't like the Old West gold mining towns. It, they were very sophisticated in their gold mining. That was a very important thing in the Romans. And the soldiers knew about that because soldiers had gone up to places like uh what is now Spain and mined whole mountains out of existence with amazing precision of getting that gold out to hydraulic mining and building dams and long runways and chutes and and uh, moving huge amounts of water through aqueducts to mine that gold. They were very good at what they did. And the centurions were a part of that because the centurions did more construction and building of roads and bridges and aqueducts and dams and and uh, of all these different kinds of, including docks, all these things, because they were builders. And they weren't just fighters. They, they were armed, but everybody was armed in those days. You, that was the way it was in those days. <laughs> Cause everybody, it was everybody's responsibility to defend one another. All the church ministers were armed. You know, somebody said, like what we talked about at the beginning, uh, somebody was saying, do you really think that people should bring weapons to church? Well, Jesus did. (laughs) He said, if you don't have a sword, go out and buy one. And one guy actually had two swords. And uh, so, but he told everybody to go out and buy one. uh, Because of the fact that you have a responsibility to protect the innocent. If you stand by and do nothing while murderous robbers and thieves and scoundrels are raping and pillaging and murdering your neighbor then that's in itself, if you refuse to do anything, that in itself is violence. But now, if you think you're supposed to go out and start insurrection and, uh, and uh, rebelry, uh, you shouldn't. Now, just to make things clear, that I believe that in the American Revolution... The one who was revolting was the king. And we explain this in great detail in another book that we make free online. <laughs> and show you how, you know, uh, contracts, covenants, and constitutions. And and explain how that's come about. Even we make references in the book, uh, The Covenants of the Gods and Thy Kingdom Come, to these same kind of principles. And we have articles up on it showing you... actually. Uh, the 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 tale of two alamos and uh i think that was the name of the article originally it appeared somewhere but uh you know it talks about uh you know what was going on in the alamo and what really happened there and why it was happening and and so i can tell you all these things about history if you don't know history you probably can't tell the future <laughs> but if you do know history you probably can tell, if you understand the principles involved. But anyway, back to Paul's Phil- letter to the Philippians at Philippi, uh, is that he's he's telling a little bit about himself. He says that him and Tometheus are, are, you know, and he's writing to all the saints. That's the separate ones, the ones that are separated out. That's actually the called out. That would be the church. Church, the word church means the called out. Every time you see the word church, you should be saying in your mind the called out. And that's actually the the disciples of Christ who are called out, trained up, and appointed a kingdom. Not a kingdom that exercises authority one over the other, but a kingdom that actually takes care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They don't operate by force. They don't operate by violence like everybody else was doing at that time and everybody else is doing today. The real church operates by charity, by love, by by hope, by faith. But anyway, he's writing to the saints, the called out, and to the bishops, which that, that that's a word that needs to be studied and I have live links uh, to uh footnotes as well as to other articles on what a bishop actually is and what a deacon actually is, a minister of ten, and uh, he's writing to them. Now, they will, in turn, share this particular letter with the elders, which are the heads of families in their different congregations. This is, some people call it an encyclical letter because it wasn't necessarily just Written to the people at Philippi, it was written kinda of as a general letter to a lot of different people, to a lot of the saints throughout the network that was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is within the hearts of those people, but the people come together in a network as commanded by Christ, they sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and, and five thousands, and they sit down in these ranks upon ranks, Not of ruling over one another, but of serving one another. And this opens the door to the Holy Spirit entering into your heart and awakening you to revelation. So that you know things that you could not have known by flesh and blood because flesh and blood didn't reveal it. You knew it by revelation. And that's what you really want to do. And that's an individual thing. You know, I cannot give you revelation. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But if you want the Holy Spirit to enter in, then you have to stop blocking the Holy Spirit with your covetousness. With your unforgiveness. With your selfishness. Because even selfishness is covetousness. To covet your own stuff. So that I don't want to share with anybody else. I want to keep my stuff. I don't need my stuff. You don't want to be that way. And, you know, a lot of people are that way. So anyway, Paul tells a little bit about his sacrifice and that. And then we get down in here into chapter uh, 2. But uh, I did say in verse 27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, the good news of the Messiah, the good news of the anointed, the good news of the king, all the same thing, because Christ means anointed, in the Hebrew, it would be Messiah, And what that means is that Jesus is the king. There is this other king, one Jesus, who is anointed to be that king. And he is both king and high priest. And we've explained why I say that. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, he goes on. But what is he saying in this conversation? That word conversation there. That word specifically means to be a citizen and to administer civil affairs, to manage the state. Why is Paul talking about being a citizen and managing the civil affairs of a state? What state is he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the state... Is not a capital state. Because in the kingdom of God, you're in a state of freedom. You have the right to choose. That was another thing we talked about with the minister last night. Is that we're not about taking away choice, directing people, and telling them what they have to do. Except in principle, if you're not doing what Christ said, then you know we have to preach what Christ said. Now, how does that translate into what you're doing? Is you should be managing the civil affairs of the kingdom. The elders of every family, the deacons who are ministers of ten, the the bishops who are really overseers of ten ministers and the minister of ten ministers in ranks of tens, hundreds and thousands. And the reason why is this is how they help with the daily ministration. This and and by picking seven, which is another story that we have an article on that you can go look at but the the what the christians were doing were managing the civil affairs of a free state binding the people together with love rather than fealty and contracts and rulers we wanted the people to be ruled in their heart by god that's what you need to defend against tyranny you don't need more tyranny to defend against tyranny they tried that in South America. They used to do that pretty regular basis. You know, they'd have some revolution, you know, Pancho Villa, and they would revolt and overthrow one group of people only to find out, you know, that Castro was a tyrant. <laughs> and you helped Castro overthrow the tyrant that was there before so that Castro could be the new tyrant. And that's what you'll get if you don't learn these other lessons first. So let's get into chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, in the Messiah, in the King, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, because like I said, we're not just trying to get fellowships amongst each other, but fellowship with the Holy Spirit. If any bowels and mercies, now the bowels has to do, we we look at that bowels. What what is that? Well, that term back then is like any heart. That would be the same thing today. The metaphor, you know, you got to have some heart. You have to have some compassion. And so by saying bowels, that's what they're talking about. Is that any, any, any compassion, they're using this metaphor of bowels and mercies. Uh, caring about others. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Like-minded with who? What did he just talk about in the previous chapter? All his willingness to sacrifice, to die. You know, and the French have a saying, petite morte, the little death. And what the die that he's talking about is, you don't have to, you know, jump on a hand grenade, but every time you sacrifice, every time you give of yourself your time, your energy, maybe your money, some food that you have, Some shelter. You have another little place. We recommend that everybody try to create extra accommodations. You know where they can set up maybe accommodations in their garage or maybe an extra trailer or something out back. You know, um, so that you can actually take in somebody else. We don't want central locations. Maybe, maybe it's you know what they call a grandmother cottage or a mother-in-law cottage, where you you have this little cottage in your backyard that has its own little bedroom and bathroom and you can put your mother-in-law there and you can build those and a lot of cities allow you to build those if you have enough room in your lot and they give you special tax allowances to do that but once it's built, maybe your mother-in-law was in it, maybe you could put somebody else in it and help them out. But then you have to learn how to do that, and you better join the network so that you can learn how to do that, because there's a lot of users and abusers out there, and you don't want to be inviting them in. You want to be helping those who really want help. But we'll talk more about that later. But So you've got this uh, idea of, of uh, sacrifice. And you give of yourself. You die daily. And then you can pick up your life more abundantly. What happens when you start going down that road of wise sacrifice in a network of people that want to follow the ways of Christ, then the Holy Spirit can enter in and start awakening you to more things that you did not see before. And then then you do like that, that minister was saying. You start to own it. You start because now you don't need to hear me to tell you what to do. That's not why I preach. I want you to hear from the same source that I depend upon. He goes on to say in verse 3, "...let nothing be done through strife and vain glory, but in lowliness of mind." That's in the humbleness of mind. "...let each esteem other better than themselves." One of the things when you have a network of charity, somebody was talking on the organ group about, how did he put it, uh, you know, the, the economy of love. I think he referred to it. And, of course, the same word love and same word charity. When when you're really, you you don't want to fall on the good graces of other people. You don't want to depend on other people to bail you out if you find yourself on hard times. You you want to carry your own weight. You don't want to make other people suffer at your expense. Of course, the covetous nature of the Bernie Sanders social estate is just the reverse of that. You definitely want to covet your neighbor's goods, especially your rich neighbors. Those dirty, rotten, rich people that worked real hard for their wealth. They obviously took advantage of other people to become wealthy. Not necessarily so. Maybe they just worked their... Their fingers to the bone for years and years, and <laughs> accumulated some wealth, and now you want it because you somehow think you deserve it. That's the opposite of the spirit of Christ. It's absolutely the antithesis of Christ. But and and with that, if you go that way, that's the other way. That's the opposite way of Christ. If you go that way, you will see less and less. You won't have more revelation. You will have less revelation. You will not see reality. You you will you will think, oh, student loan, cool. You know, and you'll graduate one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt. You're already born one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt. Now you got another one hundred fifty thousand on top of that. You have to pay off the one hundred fifty thousand just to get back to being broke, and in debt to the state. <laughs> so anyway, the. You won't see that. You won't, you, because that covetous nature blocks out the light. You have to see you've been covetous. You have to see you've been selfish. You have to see you've been self-righteous, proud, vain. When you see that, then the light can start filtering in. It's sometimes a little painful to see that. No pain, no gain. So, anyway, if we, if we continue in, in in these verses, seeing that you're not to have, you know, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. what what what's Paul talking about? This idea is that you're not going to be coveting your neighbor's goods is so unique and Christ and Paul is trying to tell you that this Christ came to give give his life to lay down his life but he knew that in doing so he would pick up his life more abundantly didn't say it was going to be easy didn't say that there wasn't going to be pain or sacrifice there has to be it's the nature of things Life does not come without sacrifice. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. So here, Christ is taking on this form of the servant. He actually the lowest servant in the house, the one who washes his feet. Jesus came from a rich family. A lot of people don't know that. I've said it many times. People say, well, what difference does it make? Well, a huge amount. Though he was rich, he made himself poor. That's what it tells us. And we know that he had other relatives that were extremely rich. But he made himself this humble servant, this foot washer, this guy who could be king, And rule over the people, but chose to serve them. that That's what you want, to have that spirit in you. Then you might find out what it means to worship. The form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death. Even the death on the cross, he was willing to go that. And also remember that the death on the cross was for somebody who was usurping or for somebody who was in this insurrection against the government, the rightful government. Now, of course, people will argue whether it's the rightful government. I'm telling you that the government you have today is because of the sloth that you have. You want to think it's because of the greed that they have. Well, I, I admit there's greed and there's a swamp and there's corruption and all that. But the reason though that is in power is you've been slothful in the ways of God and you have been covetous of your neighbor's goods and your parents as well. That's not easy for a lot of people to accept. They don't want to think that. They want to think that we're great and we're wonderful and we're all this stuff. That's pride and vanity. Christ was great and wonderful, but he took on the position of being humble. We need to be doing the same thing. We need to be going that other way. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But what kind of Lord is Christ? He's the Lord that comes to serve. But He is not going to serve wickedness. He's going to serve the righteousness in the people. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He wants God's will to be working in you. you got to work out your salvation. He's talking to people that have been faithful in the way. He's not talking to most of the people in the modern church because they're entangled in the yoke of bondage. They've been slothful in the ways. In this country, when America was supposedly great, although a lot of people want to debate that, there was an America that was great. There were people in America that were great. They took care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. They took care of the education. They built the schools. They... With their own hands, they, with their own contribution, free will contributions, not with forced levies, uh, in their community, but they actually went out and built it themselves. You know, like the Amish go and build a barn for somebody. Somebody loses a barn, they all get together and go build that guy's, a new barn. They, and they know that if their barn burns down, he'll come and help build their barn. They're self insured to the nature of their community. They don't need public insurance through the state who exercises authority. They actually take care of one another through voluntary means. You need to be doing the same thing, and the early church did that. Now, I have over here in the side panel, we talk about Justin the Martyr who wrote Antonius Pius, the emperor of, of Rome, and explained to him back in 150 AD what Christians were doing. It says, you know, they met every week. And the wealthy among us, that's the ones that have, among us, help the needy. They who are well to do and willing give what each thinks, thinks fit. They decide what is fit. They don't have... They don't ask the emperor, you take away from the people you think have too much and you give to the people you think don't have enough. They meet every week and do it themselves. This was Christianity. Is that what you're doing in your churches? Or are you going to the men who exercise authority? Your churches are just there to make you feel comfortable. You're in apostasy. You've gone the wrong way. You deserve tyrants. And we, we show you philosophers, historians who explain that's exactly where you will go. You will become, you will degenerate as a people. And if you decide, well, I don't care that I degenerated as a people and I'm selfish and I don't depend upon faith, hope, and charity to take care of me, that I go and I eat at the table of the king. But if the king does something I don't like, I'm going to overthrow him. You're going to end up with another tyrant worse than the one that you had before. Because you haven't learned the lessons of a wise society. You aren't doing. And you can go, maybe we'll go over that quote because there's more to that quote. Because that's what they're doing is helping out the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. That's what the early church did. That's not what the modern church does. The modern church sends you to men who exercise authority because the modern church believes a lie is under a strong delusion and is in apostasy. And they need to repent, think differently, and go the other way. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. The character, which is above every character. He's not like the emperor of Rome. You can go right down the emperors of Rome. Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, uh, Claudius, Nero. They're killing each other one after another, seizing power. Men who uh, want power seek those offices of power that the people have created to their sloth. This and They created them 150 years after Polybius said that this is exactly what was going to happen. And now we have done the same thing in America and Australia and in Great Britain. And we wonder why the corrupt are running things. And you want to drain the swamp. To where? The fact is that people don't want to drain the swamp. They say things like that, but when I show them how to do it, like here in Oregon, they go like, oh, well, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. Because you have to change. Governments will not change until you change. Men have to change first. You have to, you have to have good men. And, and we don't have very many of those. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. That's the problem. Modern church is not obeying. They're not doing what Christ said. So in these last couple of verses, hopefully we will begin to see what we should be doing. And so be right back. Join us at Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, welcome back. So we're down in verse 14. We just saw in verse 13 where he said that it, talking to those people who are actually doing what Christ said to do, he's, he's saying that God, they're able to do this for God worketh in them both to will and to do what is good. That's what he's talking about. That they not only desire to do what is good, they actually do it. This is what Christ This is what Christ said. You don't just say you want to do it. You actually do it. He had whole parables about that where, you know, two sons. One said he was going to do it, but didn't. And one said he wasn't going to do it, but then repented and went and did it. Which one was the real son? Well, it's very clear. It's the one who actually does what his father says. And that's repeated over again. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You're not going to be coveting your neighbor's goods. You're going to be actually loving your neighbor as yourself, which means being charitable to your neighbor. You're going to you're going to share what you have so that your neighbor doesn't starve or suffer unduly. But he goes on in saying this in verse uh, 14: Do all things without murmuring. And disputing, and this murmuring and disputing, these words actually means, you know, secretly in your head, arguing about it. Like, oh, geez, I have to give again. Oh, I have to send them something. Oh, you know, I have to share with my neighbor. I have to help them out. Don't do it. Be joyful in the doing. That's what Thanksgiving is. Thankful for the opportunity of giving. That's what the Eucharist of Christ is. If you want to receive Christ in your heart, if you want to receive the revelation of Christ, you have to be the Eucharist of Christ. Thankful for the opportunity of laying down some of your life daily for the welfare of others. You know, this you have to want to nurture your community in righteousness, which means you don't just necessarily give to everybody. You know, sometimes you may rebuke. And it goes on to say that, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, the children of God, that's what we're supposed to be, without rebuke. We're not going to get rebuke because we're actually doing it. If we're not doing it, then I get to come along and rebuke you. Saying, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you taking care of one another? faith, hope, and charity? Why are you going to men who exercise authority? Why are you going to men who want to take away from your neighbor? That's what all these churches are doing which is why they are so confused and they don't know LGBT weddings, abortion, pro-life, pro... You know, you've got it to the point where people are bragging about the fact that I aborted my child. Those people have sunk out of reality so much that they can't even see there's something wrong with that. And, And you can see this on many, many different levels. Everybody who is partially woke up sees... Oh, well, look, I'm not as crazy as these guys. I'm not as crazy as those guys. How crazy are you? I'm saying you got to turn around and head back to the rock and the ways of the rock, who is Christ. All right? You're not going to get there through force and violence. You're not going to get there through flesh and blood. You're going to get to the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So... He says, uh, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation amongst whom ye shine as lights in the world. Is that what you guys are doing? Are you really sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of the needy of the society through faith, hope, and charity? I mean, the Amish kind of do it, but I don't think you have to grow a beard and wear suspenders. And ride around on a horse. I think you can do it exactly where you're at right now. But you cannot successfully do it. Unless you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. Oh. Holding forth the word of life. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And I have not run in vain. Neither labored in vain. Yea, And if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to send Timotheus shortly unto you. So this is kind of a letter of credence, a letter of introduction, so that you know that when he shows up, he's got this letter. And they say, oh, you're Timotheus? Oh, yeah. There's a the letter I've got from Paul introducing me. That I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. This is the state. He's managing the affairs of the state remember back there that word conversation this is the state of freedom though he's just he's not going to take anything from you don't freely give like the other states do he's only going to be taking what you offer freely as a matter of charity we there's a footnotes here on the page that you can go to and look at but he says concerning on account of, because of, around or near. That's what that word actually means. The same as the word before that, that we saw there, which is liturgio. It actually means a public office, which a citizen undertakes to administer at his own expense. Any service, even a military service, the service of workmen. That's what liturgy comes from, the Greek word liturgia. And there's several other words, liturgio, etc., that has to do with to serve the state. Well, in in Christ's kingdom, the state they're serving is the state of freedom. That's what we're serving is this state of freedom. We we need to understand that if you're going to understand what Christ is talking about. What Paul is talking about is that he came to set men free. And so we see, you know, this this word service, back there in verse 17, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service. That word is the liturgy, liturgio, and the service to the state, the state of your freedom, of your faith, of your allegiance to the ways of Christ instead of the allegiance to the ways of force, which is the ways of the world. We're not supposed to be living by that. You're in the world, but not of the world. You're not dependent upon the free bread of Rome. And all these guys in Philippi were no longer dependent on the free bread of Rome. They were taking care of one another. They were administering the state of freedom. If you want to be free, you have to do this. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know... The proof of him that as a son with a father he hath served with me in the gospel. He's talking about Timotheus. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how. So anyway, what he's talking about is this serving the kingdom of God, this ministers of the kingdom of God. And he's saying it's really hard to find other guys who are men of service like this. And I will profess, Paul is right. It is really hard to find. He's seeing how things will go with him is what he says in the whole verse. But that word seeing how, I put a link in there also so you can look and, and see what word, you know, how or concerning or any way in which I can do these things. And that's what i actually been doing for the last uh, few weeks is... Uh, working on a a way in which I can share with you how to know who is the minister of Christ and who is the minister of Christ, how we can put together letters of credence, such as letters of appointments and letters of determination, what we're looking for, what is the process of that. Now, in my heart I can see it right away, but now I have to explain it to other people, and if you've read some of the other books you see how I don't just say this of my own accord, I have to go back to the Bible and say, well what, how did they say this then? How did they do this then? Here we see this example in Philippians where he's writing this letter of credence, because he knows Tometheus. He knows what kind of a guy he is. And they've worked together. Well, our network reaches all the way across to South Africa and and Australia, and I don't get to sit down and work with all these guys. So I have to depend upon what other guys, the testimony of other people in order to say, yeah, okay, I recognize that guy. Okay, I know who that is because so-and-so who I do know has met with that guy. And so it's just, it's doing our homework. And And to understand that this is what you need to do to put together a network that is not only strong in courage, but strong in faith. You have to do this. For all seek their own, he says, not the things which are Jesus Christ. We have to to deal with the ways of Christ and not be selfish doing our own thing. So... What we're doing is creating offices of service. See, the world creates offices of power that exercise authority one over the other. We're forbidden to do that. We have to create offices of service and we can only give testimony to those that we see serving the ways of Christ. Serving that which Christ has said for us to do. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father... He hath served with me in the gospel, so this is he he's got some personal experience him, therefore, I hope to sin presently so soon as I shall see how, and it will go how it will go with me, what I can get away with and what I can't go well, you know remember he's back there under house arrest in in Rome, and we explained in the previous deal why. Why he went there to Rome, why he appealed to Rome? It wasn't because he was a Roman citizen; he wasn't a Roman citizen. he was a Romeus, and go look that up. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly he He was hoping to I don't think he ever did. yet I supposed it necessary to send uh to send to the uh, Epaphroditus my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your message. Oh, he says, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. So, anyway, he, he's mentioning somebody else that he labels my brother. And if you, he's brother, then he's also a brother in Christ. This is what the brethren of Christ, the saints, was referring to these people who were in this position of service. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I... So he's letting them know that this guy had been sick and he had survived and that he was you know that he didn't want to see this guy lost and and he, he gives credit to God that the guy got better. I don't know what the illness was, but there's a price to pay in the ministry, and a lot of people don't see it they don't see the hours and hours of time and this personal sacrifice and, and your whole family sacrifices when you're in a ministry totally dependent upon the good wishes and good will of others. And, you know, I'm not soliciting everybody send me funds. I want you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take start taking care of your local congregations in faith, hope, and charity. And do it in accordance to the way that Christ commanded. That's what we do. I send him, therefore, the more carefully that when he see, that you see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. So he's he's careful how he's sending this guy because he had been really sick, but he wants the people to know that this guy had been sick and sacrificed and sacrificed for them. That's what he was saying earlier, is that he suffered all these things So that these people might be free. Isn't that what Christ did? Isn't that coming in the name of Christ? Is that what your ministers do? Or are they living high on the hog because there's good money in tickling the ears of the people and telling them they don't have to do anything. They don't have to do the will of Christ. They don't have to do the will of the Father. They just have to say they love Him and they're automatically saved. That's crazy. Meanwhile, they're actually allowing the people to do the exact opposite of what Christ said to do, actually doing what Christ condemned. They encouraged people to do what Christ condemned, which was the Corban of the Pharisees. And if you don't know what that is, you need to look that up. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service towards me. And so, anyway, he'd come to serve Paul and help Paul. you got to remember that the tens of thousands of Christians were no longer taking any of the welfare benefits of the state of Rome. They had moved away from that. They weren't taking the benefits of the state of the Pharisees because those states led you into bondage and made you merchandise and cursed your children with debt. And, of course, those of you who have been following along and seeing, you know, this was going through the time of Caligula, who was running up debt and, and Nero, who and Claudius even ran up debt, although Claudius was a little bit more fiscally responsible. He was kind of the Trump of his day in some ways. But uh, he, they still were going downhill. And then, of course, he was followed by Nero, which was worse than Caligula. And he absconded with the huge volumes of the treasury of the state and brought them to a horrible state. It was shortly after that they had lots of troubles with the emperors, occasionally getting a little bit better one and then getting worse. And that's the thing. As long as you create those offices of power, men who seek power will seek office. And, of course, by 150 A.D., you had Antonius Pius in there and you had Justin the Martyr. Writing them, telling them how Christians do it, and what he was telling them isn't what Christians do today. What it is what they did 150 years ago in America. It isn't what they do today. They the wealthy amongst them, those that have amongst them, were sharing with the president of the meeting. They actually use the translation says president of the meeting, but the the principas. See, the Principas Civitas of Rome was the president of Rome. But he had power to exercise authority one over the other. He could tax the people. He was also the commander-in-chief. He could rule the army and order the army to go here and go there. You know, and so he was this chief executive officer, Principas Civitas, and commander-in-chief. Well, the Principas of the church... He's, he can't rule over the people. He can't. For, he cannot exercise authority one over the other. Christ forbid it. So it's a different kind of government, but it is another form of government. That's the way the church is defined even today in, in Black's Law Dictionary, that the church is one form of government that preaches the doctrines of Christ for His purposes, for His, for what He desired. Well, He desired that you be free. Well, if you're not going to do what Christ said, if you're not going to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another and defend righteousness and and, uh, attend to the daily ministration and attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These are all names of articles, weightier matters. Explaining what Christ was actually telling the people to do. Your modern church isn't doing that. So... You know, I'm not telling you to leave the modern church. I'm telling you to turn around and start seeking. I tell you, if you turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God and start seeing what Christ actually said, and then you speak up about it in your local churches, most of your local churches will cast you out because they're occults. They're cults that want you to be loyal to them and the doctrines they preach. Just, you just start quoting Jesus, some of the quotes that we show you that Jesus says, and ask your pastor, what about this? What about this? Isn't, isn't asking benefits from the government, coveting my neighbor's goods through the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other? Didn't Christ say it was not to be that way with us? They're going to show you the door, folks. Most of them. If they don't, praise the Lord. If they say, you know, you're right, (laughs) well then, holy, praise God. Okay, that's, they admit it, that they're right. Now, do they have the will to do what is right? And that's a process. And the best process to do that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, like Christ commanded, that's why I know it's the best because Christ commanded it and start taking care of one another and that's what we're trying to show and that's why I've been working on this I've been working on it for months now it's amazing it's really a struggle I was working on it for hours this morning before the show uh, and Uh but I had another revelation this morning <laughs> most of my revelations are in the morning and I realized oh well, this is so obvious I should have thought of this and so anyway I put a little note there that I will add that to it. And eventually, we'll put it into the minister's manual. We, now, that you can't get the minister's manual online. That's for ministers. That's just for ministers. And it's not even completed yet. It's still a, a work of love and pro, progress. But uh, this will be added to it because somebody who just read the minister's manual for the first time was saying that it helped put so many things in place. And it's full of footnotes, just like all the other books, trying to show you exactly the responsibility of the ministers. And, of course, Paul is telling you that in Philippi. And But what you understand, these people he's writing in Philippi and all the churches, they're no longer going to the government that offers them free bread and circuses welfare I mean they would give out not just bread but cheese and wine and and have big feasts meet at the big feast, you know. Uh they would be giving all this stuff out to the needy of society. And that's how they got they won votes that way. You know, the emperors were voted into power. They were they were voted in by an electoral college and they had to take an oath of office. They didn't always take that oath though. Sometimes they, they snuck around that oath, but there was an actual oath of office on tablets that they would read because they were granted this office by the Senate, which was their electoral college. All It is a history repeating itself. It's not that different. There are some differences, but the reality was that Rome fell because of the sloth and covetousness of the people. It, it wasn't the government's fault. Power corrupts, and if you bait your offices with power, you say, I'm going to give you more and more power if you just fix things for me, you're going to end up with a tyrant. And see, that's one of the great flaws of looking to Trump to solve the problem. I haven't I, I pray for Trump every day. I hope he does well. Same as I would pray for that prime minister who used to be the prime minister in Australia. I don't know who's there now. I can't keep track of all these leaders. I'm seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what the people need to do. And it will change what you perceive and see and understand. And it will also give you the full armor of God as you continue to follow in the ways of God. And the ways of God are not covetous ways. They are not selfish ways. They are not greedy ways. They are not slothful ways. They are diligent ways where you don't get the condemnation of the Pharisees because of your Corbin, or because you failed to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. When those people shot that crazed murderer who came in with a shotgun in that church, that was a blessing on that guy. He only killed two people before he died. Had he been allowed to walk around, he may have killed four, five, six, seven, I don't know how many shells he had with him, but he had a pump pump, shotgun, and I guess he was... Gunning for the pastor. But they stopped him. Now it would have been nice if they could have stopped him. You know, some people say, well, you should wound him. He's got a shotgun. He fired that again. Somebody's liable to die. He, and, and he had to shoot high, you know, so a bulletproof vest wouldn't have stopped him. Uh, you know, saved him. He had to shoot high because there were people running around. He was very careful in what he was doing. He was. He was a professional. He was an instructor. I guess he was an NRA instructor. Uh, But he knew what he was doing and he did a good job. Unfortunately, the bad guy died. Fortunately, no more other people died. Unfortunately, the media doesn't understand how that works. Fortunately, some people are starting to wake up. But the important thing to you is are you willing to wake up? Are you willing to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Well, if you are... Join us on the Living Network. Join us at preparingyou.org or hisholychurch.com or or hisholychurch.org and join the network. Join the Living Network and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you.